welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is sponsored by Evofem Biosciences, NASDAQ EVFM, a female-forward company revolutionizing women's healthcare with game-changing products that address unmet needs in women's sexual and reproductive health. Learn more at evofem.com. Today, we interview Teo Teherina, the founder and CEO of Hera Diagnostics. Hera Diagnostics is a cancer diagnostic startup bringing a cervical cancer screening tool to the market. I recently saw a meme on Facebook that is perfect for this episode. The meme had a man complaining about the COVID-19 swab, and like the test for it being the most invasive and uncomfortable test ever done. Then there's a woman rolling her eyes saying that the man should try to get a pap smear. This little cartoon is awesome for this episode because Hera Diagnostics is creating a medical device called Instapap. It uses a minor electrical stimulation to identify cancerous cells on the cervix in real time. This technology is going to revolutionize cervical cancer screenings. Today, we use pap smears to identify cervical cancer. Pap smears are essentially a swabbing of the woman's cervix, and it collects some cells from the cervix that are then sent off to a pathologist to review and look for cancerous cells. But did you know that the pap smear was actually first started over 100 years ago, and it's still the technology we use today? Also, besides it being based on old tech, it's often inaccessible to women worldwide who really need it. In fact, cervical cancer is the second leading cause of death for women in Mexico, despite it being one of the most treatable forms of cancer. Instapap will change that. It provides real-time results in an affordable price point for all the providers around the world. Hera Diagnostics is offering a new approach to cervical cancer screening that is not only more comfortable for women, but it also offers a solution in, 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 in <laughs> a solution in inequitable access to care for people with cervixes around the world. We had a great time chatting, Teo and I. You are gonna love this episode. Hey Teo, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Thank you for having me. Doing great. We love having men on the show. We love it. Oh, More wonderful. men care about uteruses, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> I love Indeed, it. Indeed, that is true. And where where are you located? I am located uh, between, I, sp- I split my time between Austin, Texas uh, and Monterrey, Nuevo León, Mexico. Mexico, awesome. Mexico. Yeah, yes. you know, we, um, we're we trying to get some more downloads in South America. We have a few countries down there, and so I'm excited to get some more subscribers from uh, 
from you know south of the border for us fantastic yeah. fantastic a lot of stuff going on these days and uh south of the border <laughs> yep yes absolutely well you know we always love to kick off our interviews with a little bit of background about our guest because you know we have a lot of aspiring founders and so everyone's story is different and how they got into femtech so tell us where you're from what did you study? Where did you work previously? And then how did you end up here at Hera? Sure, sure. I, uh, it's my pleasure. So I uh, I was born in Mexico. When I was uh, two years old, my parents uh, moved to the United States, uh, really wanting to give my siblings and I uh, opportunities that we didn't have in Mexico. I was very fortunate to have some very good teachers and I was a pretty good student, so I uh, ended up studying my undergraduate degree at Stanford University. Excellent. Uh, I majored in chemical engineering. Um, it, it was a fantastic degree. Uh, I was very lucky in a fantastic university. Um, I, it, engineering never felt quite right for mm -hmm. me, so I ended up moving and getting, in, uh, getting a, uh, an MBA. Uh, and I became very interested in entrepreneurship. Mm. But as a first-generation, I call myself a first-generation everything because a first-generation high school graduate, college graduate, and entrepreneur. Wow! I had to work for a while. You know, I had to I had to first uh, establish a financial base for myself, mm -hmm. and also help out my family uh, as well. So I worked. Uh, for Dow Chemicals, I worked for Rockwell Semiconductor Systems, I worked for Dow Computers, and then was able to leave my day job and start uh, dabbling in the innovation space, which is I'm very passionate about innovation, I'm very passionate about disruptive technologies. And when I learned about uh, what the, the work, the, the HERA technology uh, in the femtech space, I just fell in love with it from the social impact side. That's incredible. Well, you know, you just named a whole bunch of like chemical and then like computer companies. Was was medicine and biology and healthcare anywhere in there before Hera? Um, I studied some biology in college. Uh, at one point, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but it really wasn't my calling. Mm -hmm. um, uh, no, I uh, I'm more of a I consider myself a deep tech. Mm -hmm. entrepreneur and that I like to work on deep science projects and Hera is one of them being in biotech but I'm also very passionate about renewable energy mm -hmm. biodegradable plastics uh, I like tangible products yeah. uh, software is an incredible space it's just not my preferred area to play in you know? yeah yeah well I uh, personally cannot code for my life I do not have the personality or the patience. Patience is on my like things to work on list. So coding is not for me. So I get that. I also love your story of being the, you know, first for everything. Um, you know, personally, I did not come from money. In fact, I grew up in a super chaotic household. And so I always say like, I think I'm on some kind of trajectory that the universe wants me on because the cards I was dealt did not did not line up for me to be where I am right now. Like there's some kind of oh, mission wonderful. I'm supposed to be on, right? And um, I hope it's femtech. I hope I have found the mission. But, uh, you know, we do have a lot of listeners that also reach out to me and say, I want to start a company, but I, you know, I'm the, 
I'm in college and I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And if that's you listeners, just know that is very typical of very successful founders, you know? So very, very typical. You don't have to come from money or, you know, see a line of entrepreneurs in order to be one. Yes, I agree. It helps, but it, it helps. Matter. It certainly <laughs> helps. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about Hera Diagnostics. When, how yeah. long ago did you get involved with it? Yeah, Hera, Hera Diagnostics is really the evolution uh, of a prior project that was named Onco Solutions that started in 2016, 17. Okay. Uh, and it was a team of scientists from Monterey, Mexico, uh, that uh, really wanted to tackle the problem of cervical cancer in their country, in mm -hmm. Mexico. Uh, we have still around 300,000 women dying each year from cervical cancer. And in Mexico, and in, in the whole world, in the I'm world, sorry. okay, in the whole world, and when when you start digging into the numbers, eighty percent of them live in developing economies, mm -hmm. uh, in low and middle income countries. So uh, it's it's obvious that there's something going on. Yeah, uh, and so they started uh, scratching the surface and realized that. Uh, there's an issue with access uh -huh. to uh, to solutions where women are very marginalized, live in remote areas, sometimes areas where there's no doctors, uh, laboratories. And then uh, for cost reasons, the majority of the world still uses what is called the traditional pap smear to screen for cervical cancer, okay. not the liquid-based pap smear. And that is a much lower cost screen, but it's also very inaccurate. Oh. It's got a very, very low sensitivity. So it just flat out misses a lot huh. of ill, of sick patients. It just won't catch it. Let's pause there for one second. Um, what is a traditional pap smear and what's a liquid pap smear? What, how do they work? Yeah, so this is uh, Basically, the traditional pap smear is a, a, a little brush, and they collect cells, uh -huh. um, and they put it, they send it out to cytology, uh -huh. um, and and then they get a result back from from a pathologist. The liquid base is very similar. Uh, there's there's a couple of methods, but how the samples are cleaned how they're treated before they go to cytology. Oh. Uh, that improves tremendously the accuracy, God. but also the cost, right? So, yeah. um, so in, the, in, the, in Mexico, for example, uh, it just becomes prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, and one of the reasons that, um, that the traditional passengers are so poor is simply because they don't follow the protocols how the samples are being stored, mm. how they're being transported. Again, sometimes the laboratories to save to save money, they might not even have the right trained personnel looking at the microscopes. Mm -hmm. So some of the studies that we've seen and that we've done ourselves in the end is just the pap smear. We've seen uh, sensitivities as low as 35%, which wow. is, is very, very low. So traditional pap smear and liquid pap smear, both same concept. There's kind of like a brushing of the cervix to take cells mm -hmm. out, but the liquid one has a 
more refined storage of and preservation of the cells collected so you can get an accurate assessment of what's on the cervix. Whereas traditional, there's less, you know, uh, sensitivity because cells, you know, they're not supposed to live, you know, on brushes in a bag, mm-hmm. right, for multiple days. But then also you're saying there's also healthcare delivery issues, the operational costs of storing the samples and getting the right kind of people to look in the microscope at it. So there's actually multiple levels of issues with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I have to, uh, segue into telling you, uh, the story of how the, the, the technical founders of our company first, uh, decided to tackle this, but they participated in a government program in Mexico that aimed to reach women that had never gotten a pap smear before. Wow. So they went out in these uh, urban, basically vans mm-hmm. that were equipped to collect samples and that, you know, that had a chair and that had a speculum. So uh, Jesus Añez participated in this social service campaign. They, uh, it was very interesting, culturally speaking, you know, they had to, in some cases, speak to the husbands of the oh, women to get permission yeah. to be able to take a pap smear or even the children when there was no uh, father around. Uh, so they collected a bunch of samples. It took weeks, in some cases months, to get the results back what? for, again, various reasons, yeah, yeah. dealing with uh, the bureaucracy of the government. And what was astonishing is when they went back to communicate the results, half the women didn't show up for their for their test results. Huh. They just couldn't find them or they didn't show up. So he he came up with the idea and the need to have a point of care real-time diagnosis. He says we need to yes. immediately detect the illness and inform the patient that there's a problem because the awareness level will then drive the treatment. Yeah. Right? But if we can't even tell them that they're ill, then how are they ever going to get treated on yeah. something that's very treatable? Right? And um, how many, when, how often should women get pap smears? So like how, you know, is this a once in a lifetime thing? I know it's not, but tell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's different. It's different in uh, different countries, according okay. to what's being recommended as a standard of care. Uh, in Mexico, um, which is where we're launching first, it's pretty much like every three years. Three years, got you it. Know, yeah. Yep. But I, knowing what I know about the pap smear, I tell my my own family in Mexico, uh, I tell them you should get it every year. Every year, <laughs> yeah. That's what yes. I've heard too for myself. Yeah. Yes. And um, one more question. I know I've, I have a lot of biology questions for you because this sure. is good. We've never actually talked about pap smears on this on the show yet. So, um we have an HPV vaccine that exists, mm-hmm. right? And so that has, um, at least in Australia and New Zealand, it's almost nearly eradicated cervical cancer because cervical cancer is so often times caused by the HPV virus. Um, and so human papillomavirus, that's what the V is. But is that is there still an issue in needing these pap smears because the vaccines for HPV are not getting to these rural communities? Um, so there's there's the issue of that in the short to midterm, you're just not gonna you're not gonna be able to vaccinate everybody, yeah, right? And yeah. especially if people uh, the woman is older. Uh, also, uh, 
we've seen some papers published that the strains that are causing uh, the uh, cervical cancer are not the same in each country. Uh, so how these vaccines were designed, uh, you know, were primarily designed for the United States, Europe, is not necessarily oh the strains gosh. that are actually problematic in Latin America. Gee, so, oh my gosh. So, There's such so bias we, in science. Oh my yeah. God. So we think that uh, we're big proponents of vaccination. We yeah. think that's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do think that the need to still do screening yeah. will continue uh, on um, for, for some of those reasons. Absolutely. One is not everybody will get vaccinated. Two, uh, sometimes uh, not all the strains, not all the cancer-causing strains are covered yep. in the vaccine. So we still think that screening is pretty much here to stay. Yes. Even though the incidence will go down dramatically because of vaccination. Mm -hmm. we, we think the need to screen will remain. We still need it. That's right. Wow. Okay. So interesting. So tell us, what is Instapath? Yeah. So Instapath is basically a medical device that utilizes two very simple principles to detect a cancer lesion. We don't detect the virus. We're not like an HPV. Mm -hmm. Uh, test, we are a cancer test. Got it. So whereas the HPV test tells you that you are a very high risk for getting cancer, it's not telling you that you actually have cancer. Yeah. So you could be HPV positive, and all that means that you need to get more frequent pap smears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you're you're high prone yeah. for cancer. So we, we use uh, optical spectroscopy and electrical impedance. And all that really means is we shine uh, frequencies of light uh, at the tissue uh, with a, if you can imagine a like a wand, a uh, thin wand that goes into the vagina and lightly touches the cervix. Mm -hmm. Each time we touch it, we shine light and we send a very small microvolt of electricity uh -huh way below the threshold of what the human body can feel. Uh -huh. uh, so we look at how the cells are absorbing light and how they're conducting electricity. And it's a pretty well-documented principle that when there's a cancer lesion present, the absorption of light and the resistance to conducting electricity change. Hmm. So we look at the ch changes in those, and then with a, with some artificial intelligence models and machine learning models, we can tell with pretty good accuracy that there's, and tell immediately that there's a presence of a lesion. Wow. And it's the wand that's sensing it, right? It's not like someone looking, trying to look up into the vagina to the cervix, looking at the lights. It's, it's the wand is doing all of that. Yeah. The, yeah. It's not imaging. It doesn't yeah. take a picture. Uh, it's measuring just absorption of energy, of light. Uh, and the instrument does the interpretation for you. Uh, you don't have to be a doctor. You can be a nurse practitioner. Oh, that's good. So, so it takes the, the uh, person out of the equation mm -hmm. in terms of the interpretation. Yeah. Now, at the stage where we're at, we're really 
a screen. We're mm -hmm. not ready to be a diagnostic. We're not mm -hmm. accurate enough to be a diagnostic. Uh, our goal is to make this technology so good that it could potentially one day be considered a diagnostic. Yeah. And and we'd be talking about a digital biopsy at that point, huh. which would be very interesting. So you know? interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but our first foray into into saving lives is just providing a, a more accurate, real time, and affordable screen. Oh my gosh. How far along are you? So we, our device is, uh, been approved by the Mexican FDA. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a sleeve that uh, you throw away with each exam. Uh -huh. The sleeve, we designed it after the device, uh, and we still need to get the sleeve through FDA approval in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But we hope to be selling in Mexico in another 9 to 12 months. Wow, incredible. And so... How are you going to make sure that this wand, this device, isn't just you know in the major cities where women may be getting pap smears anyways? And how are you going to make sure that these women in rural communities get it? Yeah, you know this is that's a really um, that's a really important topic for us mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately what our our mission is to save lives, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did is we designed this for. For the developing world. Mm -hmm. In other words, we, we made it very affordable. The device is affordable and the sleeve is very affordable. We could be the same cost or cheaper than cytology in, in Mexico. Um, and what, what our plan is, is to really work on aggressive marketing campaigns to reach practitioners uh, and uh, put a device in their hand and ship them sleeves so they can conduct a more accurate screen mm -hmm. of their patients for the same or lower price, yeah. right? Um, we have to, for sure, uh, work with the government of Mexico and, you know, and in many governments, in particular in Latin America, because so much of healthcare in Latin America is actually being done by government institutions. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, for example, something like 60% of all pap smears are done by government hospitals. Oh, okay. So we will work with the government uh, to make sure that they have the latest technology uh, and we can and they can save more lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the end goal, right? Yeah. Well, you mentioned Latin America. Are there specific countries that you're targeting with the mindset of this social impact part? where there's maybe a lot of women in rural areas that could use this? And then outside of Latin America as well, do you know of other countries that could really use this? Yeah, our, our go-to-market plan is to really focus on Mexico, Central, and South America, mm -hmm. uh, low- to middle-income countries. We want to go to India. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to go to the... We've been studying which countries have the highest incident rates of cervical cancer yeah. uh, and we want to target those low and middle income countries first yeah. uh, because that's where we think we will have the most impact in terms Absolutely. of saving lives uh, the quickest and the fastest. Yeah. Uh, single uh, in, in the developed world, we think that single payer countries uh, will adopt the technology, but mostly from a cost-saving standpoint. Mm -hmm. in, in the United States and in Europe, we can be cheaper yeah. than 
than the existing. So we can we can do real time result, which helps improve workflow, mm-hmm. uh, and we can be um, you know more affordable than the, than the existing uh, liquid base yeah. you know past year. Makes sense. Uh, and we think that 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 single payer countries could find this interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States probably will be our last frontier. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, cervical cancer is not a huge problem. Yeah. Although we have this very interesting idea where we thought of uh, in, in the U.S., for example, the majority of, of women that are dying from cervical cancer, not surprisingly, are uninsured. Yeah, uh, and they, they're very impoverished. They live in you know uh, the Texas border or Appalachia. Yeah. They're clustered in very poor, uninsured areas. So we would like to do strategic partnerships with nonprofits. Yes. And we thought about the idea of just retailing this. Like, why not just do a $40 pap smear? Yeah. You know, $40 digital pap smear, which is basically the cost of a copay, you know? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, if Femtech Focus can help you find these people, I mean, we... Femtech Focus will get in a van. We'll co- we have a gynecologist in our team. We're get, we'll oh, come out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that actually brings up a good point for me. So, like, let's say, you know, these impoverished women or women living in rural areas, they they use your they get your device, you know, used on them. They find out in the moment they have cancerous cells. If these are women who don't have money, like, how do how are we expecting them to then get cancer treatment? What's the treatment for that? Yeah, so we will definitely have to work with uh, a lot of the foundations mm-hmm. that are c- currently provide support for treatment. Uh, what's important here is that if a woman does not get screened and the cancer becomes very invasive, mm-hmm. the treatment costs are very high. Okay. But if we're able to catch this at SIN2 or very early stages, you're going to have uh, more treatments being done, but less expensive treatments. Got it, got it. And it's I not, guess they couldn't even get help if they didn't know it in the first place. So Yeah. yeah. So we will have to have, yeah, we will have to work on strategic partnerships with different foundations that provide help to uninsured patients. A lot of hosp- cancer hospitals also have programs for uninsured patients. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we that area on the treatment side, the government will hopefully step up to the plate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously the first step is the awareness mm-hmm. and then the next step is getting the treatment yeah. needed to be able to save the patient. Absolutely. Well, um, what about other cancers that predominantly affect women, like breast cancer? These Are women in these areas and these demographics also struggling with never having a, you know, mammogram type of test done? Indeed, mm. yes. Yeah, Unfor- uh, unfortunately, breast cancer isn't something that our device, that we foresee our device being able to help with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do foresee uh, being able to help and develop an algorithm for skin cancer, for example, Okay. which is another really high high runner, uh, a lot of biopsies in skin, in skin cancer. Um, and throat cancer, colon cancer. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, that's our hope is to also migrate. We basically have a platform technology that can also be used. Yeah. For not every cancer, but other types of cancer. Yeah, definitely. 
Wow. Well, you know, how many, you know, can you estimate how many women are, you think you'll be able to save with this? Like, have, have those you know, numbers been crunched? Yeah, you know, we did a, we did do a program with an NGO in Mexico called Tren de la Salud, where we, we tested, it's a train cart that goes to rural areas of Mexico mm-hmm. and they uh, perform uh, routine exams for women. Mm-hmm. Many of these women have never gotten any kind of care wow. in their life. Uh, so we participated, our device participated in that campaign and we tested around 9,000 women mm-hmm. and we found validated by a biopsy we found about 3.8% uh, incident rate. Is that which is average? Very high. Or is that... I mean, that's much higher than what the incident wow. rate is. Uh, it could be the population we were dealing with. Yeah. Uh, it could also just be that when we talk about the sensitivity of the traditional pap smear in Mexico, that the numbers that are being reported right now oh, are severely underreported. Okay, that, okay. Because it's just they're just not catching. It. That's right. They're not catching it the mm-hmm. first time around. So so we we ended up with a, about a 3.8% incident rate and each one of those was validated by a biopsy. Wow. So so it, it was so we we think that the problem is more severe than what is being reported. Absolutely. Wow. This is crazy. What are some symptoms of cervical cancer? Um, like, how would a bleeding, woman even know? The, mo- the more pain, pain, pain. and bleeding mm-hmm. are the more the most common symptoms that that I'm aware of. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, this is absolutely incredible. Um, I am really inspired by your social impact and the like healthcare innovation. I feel like. A lot of times, especially in the United States, we have this capitalism mindset and we see nonprofits and profits as being very, very separate, right? And that you yeah. can't do good and make money at the same time. But that is absolutely not the case. And a lot of femtech is doing good, social impact, and you can make money doing it. You don't have to be a nonprofit to do it. And so yeah. um, you are obviously targeting something that, I mean, I didn't even know that was an issue, right? Yeah. So. I would say that the one piece of advice that I would have for other femtech uh, entrepreneurs and inventors uh, is to start with your end customer in mind when you're designing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many times um, we have tended to design products for the U.S. market and that's a very different market than the rest of the world, right? The majority yeah. of women are living on a few dollars a day, yeah. right? So what they can afford, so designing solutions for the bottom of the pyramid uh, without sacrificing accuracy, without sacrificing quality uh, can also be used in the United States and yeah. in Europe. Yeah. But when you design them to be affordable, you don't you don't block out this massive uh, population of women that live in the developing world. I so, love that advice. Uh, yeah, so had... I'd say you know think, spend some time in other countries thinking yes. about the cost structures in India and Latin America and Asia, uh, 
And if you find a solution there that works, it should also be useful everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And maybe even lower costs in the U.S., which are badly needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we had uh, Dr. Jessica Grossman on here from Medicines 360, and they you know, funded an IUD that was going to be the, the cheapest IUD ever created, targeting, you know, um, countries in Africa, actually. And but now it's an IUD used worldwide in the US Mm -hmm. all the time, right? But they were targeting like, how do we get women contraceptive via IUD in an affordable way for these African countries? So absolutely kind of like going, you know, starting starting with the social impact part first, and then and then going to the bigger capitalism side of it. Um, What are some future goals for hair diagnostics? Well, um, we're an early stage. We're still an early stage company. We 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 want to be in ten countries in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're looking at Mexico, Chile, Colombia, Peru, Brazil, India, um, and so we want to be. Our goal is to be selling in ten countries in the next five years. Um, we uh, want to continue to improve the technology uh, and go beyond screening. Mm. Uh, and 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 potentially, and I say this very, <laughs> very with a big caveat, we eventually want to be as good as a biopsy, right? I mean, yeah. that's our that's our end vision uh, is to be able to say, wow, that would be really disruptive, you know, to just be able to use our technology and not have to do a colposcopy, not have to do a biopsy, and just be able to say, this patient needs treatment next, right? Yes. And that's going to take time and obviously a lot of work with the medical community but that's the promise of what technology and artificial intelligence holds mm-hmm. uh is that it can be a, it can become a, a really really uh nobody ever thought of cars that would drive themselves nobody ever thought of <laughs> things that we're now seeing right yeah, so yeah. we have to set a vision for the future uh and we're not going to stop the screening we want to want to move and, and continue to add technology, continue to make it better. I love that because I feel like so often, especially in medicine and science, we get stuck kind of in paradigms that we're like, well, that's just the way it is. And so like, you know, if we suspect this person to have a tumor, we should definitely cut a piece of them out and test it, right? And mm-hmm. like, we need to question every step, even the things that we're like, well, that's just the basic step, you cut it out, right? And so what you're saying is like, do we, do we have to cut it out? Like, maybe we could just leave it and test it that way, you know? Yeah, test it that way before you start cutting out. Uh, Skin cancer is an area where I think could be very useful. Because right now, they, you know, a doctor looks at your at your skin and then the only thing they can really do is take a biopsy yeah and that could be from your nose or your cheek yeah right so if we could avoid doing that uh you know um that would be a very good thing for for the world right so uh so yeah we have we have plans to to go into other areas of cancer we've also because it's viral um we're also exploring uh, whether the technology could potentially be used for COVID type testing, uh-huh. right? Uh, you know, the, the virus, uh, COVID virus can also lead to changes in your tissue in your throat. Mm-hmm. So we could have an instantaneous, affordable screen. Whoa, for those. Just stick a little wand up your nose, test the 
Electric, yeah. electrical stimulation of the cells up there. Yeah, or or nose or throat, and yeah. the idea, um, the idea would be that it would be affordable in real time. That's right. right. That we can immediately tell people, tell a person, a patient, that there's an issue, uh, and that it would be affordable wow. as well. So those are things we're we're dabbling with infectious diseases as well, uh, but we want to be a company that continues to innovate. Absolutely. So. Well, speaking of innovation, we have a lot of aspiring founders that listen, and they're eager to know what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating. What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, uh, well, definitely, I think the, the, the areas related to oncology, which we've been talking about, uh, but also uh, bacterial well, well-being and balance, mm-hmm. especially in the, in the uterus and the vagina area, yep. that has a lot to do with, you know, uh, uh, what is it, incontinence, mm-hmm. um, you know, infections, for urinary infections. I think those are some areas of opportunity. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what comes to mind right now. I love it. Wow. Yeah. Vaginal flora is something that we've talked about several times on the show, but it's always been like, yeah, we know it's important, but no one really knows all that much about it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, and then the, and then more natural based therapies that Mm. don't affect the hormonal, uh, don't, don't necessarily use hormones that oftentimes lead to very severe, you know, uh, side effects. Right. So that, that would, that's really interesting. Yes area as well absolutely and our last question that our listeners love is what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful um i think that the uh i would really like to see more uh more women investors Mm -hmm. and more capital uh that's in the hands of um of women, I think that uh, oftentimes uh, it, it takes someone from the same uh, that experiences those problems from the same sex to be able to see things that I, as a man, cannot see. You know, we, I, I ended up as the CEO of this company, but we're very well balanced in terms of men and women uh, in our team, both on the technical side and the commercial side. I'm a big believer in diversity. So I think look having that lens from the investors uh, allows uh, will help a lot of femtech products move forward. Some, sometimes the traditional uh, uh, are you know my male counterparts simply just don't understand where the pain points are. That's right. You know, and or they don't understand why this would be so important to a patient mm-hmm. or why this would be so important to care. Right. So for example, I've had uh, in our case. I've had women tell me, uh, I'm willing to pay more for your exam just to be able to know right away the result. Mm-hmm. Right. That's an interesting patient experience that a lot of the investors that I talk to, they're only looking at it from the business model of the yeah. practitioner. And I tell them, but you know, you need to interview the patient too. Mm-hmm. There's value here for the patient experience. And at some point, the patient's going to go into the doctor's office and say, why aren't you using Instapap? Yeah. You know, I yes. want you to use Instapap because 
I want that. Yeah, you know? I don't want a phone call next week. Yeah, I want yeah. to know right now. Yeah, you know? that's right. So, so if it's the same accuracy and the same price, why haven't you adopted it yet? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Well, I love that because I actually just spoke with uh, a good friend, Chrissy Cardenas, who is uh, advising us on our own venture fund that we are forming. And she said, investing involves two things, logic and uh, intuition. The logic is like the data is here, the market size, the business model, like, and the men can get that with the femtech companies, but the men sometimes fall off on the intuitive side where it's like, it's intuitive that these women would like these results now, (laughs) or it's intuitive that women would like to not have those cramps or these symptoms or, you know, um, and Mm -hmm. so pairing those together makes a really great femtech investor. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think there's, um, there's more products out there than there is capital focus Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. sector. Uh, it's an exciting sector, uh, that can really change, um, the status of uh, health on a global scale. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would li- that I would like to see uh, as more internationally focused investors. Uh, mm. There tends to be a lot of investors that I've talked to where if if it's not about the U.S. market, they're just not interested. They're like, yes. I'm not interested, and I'm like, look, we can give you the same returns. <laughs> and, you know, we can give you, but 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 the product. Is really just solving a problem in these other countries, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, and there are just some investors who you, they they just shut down when yeah. they hear that, right? Oh so. my gosh, that's a great point. And I, I've never really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Whenever I talk to founders that are in Europe or another country, I'm like, you're going to have to move your company here. Otherwise, investors won't talk to you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, wow. Well, imagine you're, if you're designing a product for uh, Africa, you know, mm-hmm. and the margins are still great because of how you've designed it. Uh, but it's just really hard to find capital. And then in Mexico, for example, there's a growing culture of VCs, but it's still very fintech focused, mm-hmm. it's still very software focused. It's not deep tech. Yeah. You know, uh, and then you go to, to your family offices that have no experience. <laughs> With technology or very little experience and then it's a whole other set of problems whole other <laughs> set of problems that is right yeah. that's right well yeah. Teo, this has been such a great conversation i am so inspired by what you're doing please let us know when the femtech team can get together and help you know drive the bus and get this device out there and save women's lives definitely thank you so much for your time again you know our focus is to be a global company we are a U.S. company, but our, we have a global mission. So we hope that we can save a lot of lives in the coming years and decades. Love it. Thanks, Teo. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to our interview with Teo Tijerana, the founder and CEO of Hera Diagnostics. For me, the most impactful part of the interview was learning about how old technology can be inconvenient and uncomfortable for women in developed countries, but they're still totally inaccessible for women in developing countries. It also blew my freaking mind learning about how the HPV vaccine is not effective for women in developing countries since the vaccine is created based on the viral strains found in the wealthiest countries in the world. 
I mean, as I thought about it, I guess it makes sense, but, like, also, what the heck? <laughs> like, blew my freaking mind. Um, as per usual, I am shocked by the inequalities women's health faces around the world. And all I could say is that I'm grateful for deep tech engineers like Teo for finding the current status quo unacceptable and deciding to disrupt it. Alrighty, Fem fans, if you love our content, then please consider donating to Femtech Focus. We are a nonprofit organization. We still have our Giving Tuesday campaign running through the end of the year. Your contributions go directly to helping us elevate the Femtech industry. You can also support the show by sharing it with a friend, subscribing, and leaving a positive review. To stay up to date on Femtech news and events, follow us on social at Femtech Focus. Subscribe to our newsletter and join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org. This week we just passed 400 members. It is a super fun community to be a part of, so join it. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.